Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. It is the next to final day of May, and here is our very final episode of the month. It's episode 319, with Graham McMillan and I talking the very odd team-up of Warner Media and Discovery, the appeals of Loveless by Dan Abnett and Phil Winslade, the ultra-oddity of the Brother Voodoo Marvel Masterworks, Marvel Productions, Marvel Entertainment, and the cinematic and non-cinematic legacy of Gina Davis, as well as Boys Run the Riot, Nightwing, Crossover Volume 1, The Department of Truth, and much, much more in this two-hour-plus episode. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lester, Graham McMillan, how are ya? I'm good, how are you? It's been fucking ever. It is, it has, it's been days, eternities, years, eons, millennia. Uh, or two weeks. I don't know. I, I guess I mean, we didn't talk last week. It's been three weeks, I guess? Uh, oh, three weeks since Because since we did the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly, right? Things have... Woof. What a... Think, what a... Things have changed. The yes. landscape of comics is entirely different. Well, it is semi-different, that, 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 isn't it? Yeah, that's, that's a little bit of hyperbole. Yeah, but, but depending on how you define it, not necessarily much. I mean, for if nothing else, like like uh, David Anthony Kraft passing, right? That was like two weeks ago or something? And then there was the, the uh, Warner Media uh, Discovery deal. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, that happened, I think, our first week of... Um, uh, our our break, and we were like, "Ho oh, ho, dodged a bullet with that one, right?" Uh, yeah, especially because there was so much stuff at the time where people were like, "This is going to change everything immediately," mm-hmm. and then you know, the more that came out of it, it's like this might not even happen for a year. Yes, but I mean, there was like there was the news spinning out that I don't know if you saw, but there was another Warner's going to sell DC to Disney story that came out of that. No, I mean it's entirely bullshit, mm-hmm. but that like that was a rumor that went went back around in the wake of that. So it really was this thing where people, I think, wanted everything to change, if that makes sense. Yes. And so nothing was changing in the short term. They're like, what if we just say it is? You know, but that's, I don't know, that's so comics. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a, a strong desire to change as much as, um, you know, comic fans, we we stick to ridiculous parts of minutia and you know, basically insist, like, so that we can stand up and holler when, when you know, our little fun fact becomes the centerpiece of the next summer event. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, exactly. So I it, think... But it, it's just, it was so funny to watch. Mm. Like, you know, because you, I didn't even see the rumor. I just saw, like, the, the people refuting the rumor. Mm-hmm. It was one of those, like, blink and you miss it things. Mm. Where, I mean, it was what? It was... Was it Friday night or Saturday night that the news, initial news broke that that Discovery and Warner Media were were merging? Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, I wasn't paying attention to the internet for like a day, mm-hmm. and then the next thing I know, people were like, "No, Warner isn't selling DC to, to Disney," and I was like, "Wait, who thought they were?" <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, um, so, so that was the thing. Do you think that? Um, it, it, remember how, of course, there was the 
somebody might be buying the DC assets from Warner story was going around like four or five months ago with all sorts of names attached. Do you but like, but that's, that story ended up being, um, I mean, bullshit is a polite term. Well, I, yes. And what I was going to say is, do you think that that bullshit sort of was a weird misapprehension or misunderstanding of what must have been some kind of analysis of, you know what I mean? Like no, some no, of the no, prep no, work yeah, for... No, no, not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I have been able to strike down, that this bullshit stems from, or the, I should say that, the, you know, fans are buying DC rumor, stems from, uh, at best, wishful thinking on behalf of some of the people who, some of the people who wanted to buy it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to, you know, shall we say fact? Right. Um, and you know, when you when you started talking to some of the people who ha- were spreading said rumor, things things really drastically did not add up. You know, um, one of the people was like, "No, no, no!" They they toured the DC offices to to get a a, a sense of this, uh-huh. which. Is insane because the DC offices have been closed since last February. Mm. You know, because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when exactly did they tour the DC offices? And I I pointed this out to the person. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, but that's impossible. The offices are closed, and they're like, oh no, they did it before then, which means that at some point in early 2020, I guess mm-hmm. they were uh, looking to buy DC, and it. You know, got far enough that people were like, "Oh no, this is real," and no one talked about it for a year. Seems weird, you know? Yeah, like that just seems unlikely to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the entire concept kind of seems unlikely, to be honest, because Warner Media has, like, DC is very valuable for Warner Media, right? Incredibly right. valuable for Warner Media. Um, so why would they sell it? And there was a variation of the rumor of, well, they're not going to sell. Someone's just going to license the, license the comic publishing rights mm-hmm. and publish DC Comics for for Warners. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talked to someone in 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 the biz, as they say, mm-hmm. and they basically was like, "You'd never do that. Cause you'd never make money." Right. Like there, you would actually likely lose money every month mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because the way the deal would be structured, because to be blunt, the money in DC is not the comics. Right. It's it is the licensing. It is the licensing. It's 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 the movies and it's the the merchandise. If you're only publishing the comics, we know roughly how many comics sell a month. Yes. Right. We know roughly how much we could extrapolate roughly how much the comics would cost to produce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we could look at the actual profit, <laughs> and then we'd have to look at well, how much profit are they making? Versus how much that would they then have to give to Warners? Right, right. You know, like, again, it just, it literally doesn't make sense. The only way it makes sense, and this was an argument that someone said to me in response, was they don't care that they're losing money, they just want to publish DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which seems, again, not something that Warner would go for. 
Yeah, right. Well, you know, I mean, like yeah. it's it's one thing for, to say, well, I don't care. I'm happy to lose my money. It's another for Warner's to be like, we will license the character and tarnish the brand with something that's going to go out of business. Uh, so right. So, so yes, anyway, so, no, so yeah, that, that I think that all I is all that... a big pile of hooey. But yes. nevertheless, there was a very strange and dramatic shift in terms of how Warner's is handling their entertainment content right by the via this shift this merge with discovery well we don't know what that's going to mean yet mm-hmm. like again it's not happening for at least a year mm. right um we can guess just based on the announcement alone that priorities are definitely changing right the announcement basically talked about how this was a great idea for streaming yeah which is kind of nuts to me that you're buying Warners and you're not talking about movie theaters anymore. You're not talking about films. Mm-hmm. You're talking about it as a streaming property, mm-hmm. about how many streams everything's going to get. This comes after Warners did the, you know, everything released in theaters, we're also going to put an HBO Max and all the, the, the problems that came with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, but also, you know, apparently Warner Brothers lost a metric shit ton of money on that deal. Uh, which one? The, the putting things in HBO Max. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, apparently they lost, I mean, a shocking amount of money. Billions of dollars. Really? Yeah. Uh, in various things, not just in people not going to theaters, but also they had to pay penalties to, to, stu- to like other studios and other production companies. Oh, that makes sense. Because right. they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it cost them a lot of money to do this. Mm. So the idea that they are then going to be like, no, we're, we really care more about streaming than anything else. It's kind of an amazing shift. Mm-hmm. You know, we, everyone's talking about streaming. Disney has really pushing streaming through Disney plus, but they also have the idea that if you want to, you know, if you want to see Cruella this weekend, for example, mm-hmm. you can, it's on Disney, plus, but you have to be $30. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and maybe that, works maybe that is the model that works mm-hmm. but i'm it just it feels genuinely surprising to me that the, the combined entity is thinking streaming is its focus right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um where does that leave dc mm-hmm. dc has you know to all intents purposes a streaming a streaming entity in dc universe infinite but as far as I know, and I could be wrong, I don't think Warner Media has any other print publishing entity as part of it. Mm. Hmm. Really? Right? Well, because oh. Warner Books was spun off. Right. Warner Publishing went with Time, and then Time has been sold. Mm. Right? Wow. Time isn't with Warner Media anymore. Mm. Okay? So when the Time Warner merger happened way back in the 80s, or maybe even the 70s, I can't remember what happened. Um, Every publishing entity that Warner owned mm-hmm. went to the time part of the company, mm. with the exception of DC Comics. Hmm. DC Comics was nabbed by the movies. Like, wow. that's how far back the idea that comics are actually movies right. goes. Yeah. Like, yeah. it goes way back, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, you know, AOL buys Time Warner and then Time is then sold, Time Incorporated is then sold after that um it sold twice in like an absolutely bonkers way it sold once to meredith i think it's it sold to a magazine publisher who very quickly sells it on wow uh, 
Yeah, I mean, really quickly, like a year or less, sells it on to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sells. Who's this old? He sells. So the guy who founded Salesforce.com. Really, really genuinely weird fact. Um, so, but all the publishing, all the other publishing things, like go there instead. Wow. And so DC Comics becomes, as far as I'm aware, and I might be wrong, but I'm fairly sure I'm right, the only print publisher in Warner Media. Wow. Right? Because the comics aren't the product anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, I mean, they're not a byproduct. They're still central to, to the to DC as mm-hmm. a DC's identity. Right. But they're not the major money maker. Again, the movies are the major money maker. Mm-hmm. And uh, TV shows make more money. You know, mm-hmm. all of these, all of these other things make money. But the comics have to exist, right? Because the comics are what provides the stories for the other things. Mm-hmm. In theory, provides the characters. But you know, outside of James Tyne and 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 Josh Williamson, who's creating new characters for DC these days? Right, right. Um. So it's I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. But but again we don't know what they're going to do, right? Right. Because the DC changes of last year mm-hmm. were made when Warner before this deal happened. Mm-hmm. When Warner Media was going through its own thing because of AT&T. Because the AT&T sale only happened like two years ago. Right. It's still relatively recent comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so all of the things that have happened in the last couple of years for DC happened because of AT&T. Yeah. Right. And now AT&T is offloading it. And on one hand, that's great because um, AT&T basically bought a media company and we're like, okay, we're going to try and do something with our media company. That's right. This number is a media company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a different type of media company. I, you know, I would classify it more as a, a non-fiction media company. Mm-hmm. If you think about what Discovery Channel and Discovery Channel subsidiaries do, they don't do f- narrative fiction. Right. For the most part, yeah. Um, but they are a media company, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be better. I tweeted out after the deal happened, or after the deal was announced, I should say. Um, it would be great if the new management look at DC and go, "We should invest in this mm-hmm. because this is an engine for for future intellectual property." Mm-hmm. And honestly, this could be an engine for future. Um, not just creating characters or concepts, but creating other ways to tell a story. Mm-hmm. You know, there there are ways to to use comic publishing as a, an R and D lab. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Uh, not, right. not just not just in terms of of uh, of characters or in terms of like you know let's come up with Net's hot new superhero, but in terms of like okay, it is is periodical storytelling going to work this way? Can it work this way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what if we in, what if we do the thing that you know people make fun of, and 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 I am one of them. What if we try and sell a movie pitch as a comic first to see if it works? Yeah. Like there is value there, mm-hmm. and I think that it's a, a potentially smart move for you know Discovery Warner, whatever it's called, to do that because comics are relatively cheap mm-hmm. still to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know. We literally have no idea what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <coughs> In fact, uh, not knowing what's happening, <coughs> I feel, sums up my understanding of the whole situation 
altogether. So Warner Media and Discovery, like, are are they they're merging? Like, isn't it Discovery and AT and T merging, and then no. Warner is Discovery, no Discovery is selling off AT and T. Sorry, try again. AT and T is selling off Warner Media to Discovery. Okay, so AT&T is genuinely getting out of this. Okay, so they are genuinely divesting. They are literally selling all of Warner Media to Discovery. I don't know if it's a sale or if it's a spin-off, and then it becomes a different thing and they merge. But AT&T will not be involved in this new entity. uh, You mean in terms of control, or they'll still have some fiscal stake in it? Uh, I'm not sure if they will. Okay, definitely, definitely went off control. But uh, uh, I'm not sure if they'll even have a fiscal stake. Okay. okay. I have no I like I don't know the terms of the deal. <laughs> well, no, I it's just one of those things that was very confusing to me because it's sort of uh, just because I was I think, you know, on a break <coughs> when when we were when it when the story came out and looking at it, I was a little bit like you know, there was a lot of merger talk, but it also sounded like you know, this yeah, the stories were very much AT&T is getting out of this, you know. It's like yes, it's and, totally... and that's what's happening. AT&T is getting out of this. Right. But to the best of my knowledge, it's also a merger mm-hmm. because AT&T is essentially spinning out. Okay. The, and, the... and that's why I'm confused because it's kind of a merger but a spin out and so there's different emphases that are being placed on which part. So, which is fine. It's just I was very baffled in the sense of I'm like, well, I mean, AT and T still has its hand in there somewhere, so you know. But, but again, these things are announced and done in weird ways, you know. Um, you know, it's sort of like, um, like what Dennis Kitchen buying Tundra, you know, when in fact it was the <laughs> well, other way around, you know. You know, for for. For mysterious reasons that I am still not talking about, I've been looking into like the corporate histories of DC and the corporate history of Marvel, mm-hmm. right? And this week, I got lost in the weird corporate history of Marvel. Ooh. So, do you remember, like, cast your mind back, Jeff, to the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And do you remember there was Marvel Comics and there was Marvel Productions? Mm-hmm. Okay. Marvel. Do you know what Marvel Productions was? Uh, no. Marvel Productions was the renamed DFE, who was the animation studio that made the Pink Panther. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. Because Marvel bought them mm-hmm. uh, with a view to well, actually, Cadence Company, Marvel's owner, bought them. Right. And then decided the Marvel name would be more useful because you could do a Marvel product. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Marvel Productions. <laughs> Then gets bought with Marvel Comics, which are theoretically two separate companies with the same parent company, which then gets renamed as Marvel Entertainment Group. Mm. Gets bought by New World Films, mm-hmm. New World Studios in like 87 or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Marvel Productions then gets renamed as New World Animation. Wow. And then gets sold off separately to anything to do with Marvel. So it's like that. Insofar as AT and T bought Warner Media or mm-hmm. Warner Warner Bros. as it was then, mm-hmm. renamed it Warner Media. Mm-hmm. Then they are now basically spinning out Warner Media again. Wow! 
to merge with Discovery. Again, I don't know if Discovery is buying Warner Media or if literally AT&T is spinning off as an entirely separate company with a financial stake in it, right. and then that separate company is merging. Right. I'm not sure which it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, all of this is at, at such sort of a pay grade above anything to do with DC. Yes, right. <laughs> that the idea that people are then like, well, you know what this means for DC – you know, and I, you know, I fucking wrote a story for that for for THR. <laughs> but the the real answer is, it doesn't mean anything for DC right now because, like, nobody knows what it means for anything yet. Right. Like everyone thought that Jason Killer, the guy who was in charge of Warner Media, would be quitting with this deal, mm. and he's more or less come out and said, "Maybe I am, maybe I'm not." It's so far away. Who knows? <laughs> wow. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So so things so things are are weird. Yeah. That is one very weird thing. It's it's the whole deal is is I mean it is going to be big, right? And you can already tell that it's big. Uh the you saw the Amazon thing the other day, right? Oh, Amazon and MGM. Yes. Yeah, right? right. So I think and I from what I understand this is basically a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um but Warner Media and Discovery merging, being bought, whatever the the proper terminology is, is basically saying that we're in a new realm of consolidation again, which is a bad thing, which is a scary thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. But Amazon apparently has been after MGM for a while. Mm -hmm. But also other deals that are apparently in the work include Viacom and Disney, Hmm. which would be nuts. (laughs) Because oh, then Disney would own two broadcast networks, right? Yeah, you know, which is insane. Yeah, but also Disney would own Star Wars and Star Trek, <laughs> which is also kind of weird if you right. think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, so so who who knows, right? Who who even knows what's going to happen? Um, yeah, I I have no idea. Hey, speaking of Disney, is there any sort of fascinating update on the old Disney must pay situation? I feel like well, you saw that it was announced that Boom is officially working with the task force now, right? Mm, I think I did see that. Yeah, they they released a, they released a press release uh, last week, early this week. Mm-hmm. Um, is it was 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 the official announcement of something that I heard when I was I was working for the the THR story for, on it, mm-hmm. but um is now basically taking responsibility for anyone on old royalties mm-hmm. and is doing the work to find out who those people are and make sure they're compensated. Wow. Okay. So good for boom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that, I know that a bunch of writers are in the process of dealing with Disney um, and are getting things sorted out. I also know that it's apparently a hassle and a half to make that happen. I'm sure that sounds right. I mean, it's horrible, but that's what I would expect from Disney, actually. So, yeah, well, Disney, you know, Disney's Disney's attitude seems to be: uh, we bought the property, we didn't buy any debt or agree to any of the contracts attached to the property. Don't talk to us, (laughs) right? Which Which is is not insane. Yeah, yeah, it's genuinely nuts. Um, Like, I saw an email where Disney outright said. Those contracts were made with the previous owners, not with us. But ugh. which is 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 insane. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, even more insane when you consider 
that in the initial Disney task, Disney Must Play Task Force announcement, one of the companies listed as being impacted by this was Marvel, and one of the Marvel properties listed was Spider-Man. Yes. So if Disney is somehow arguing that it doesn't owe anyone any Marvel royalties for Spider-Man because it bought Marvel, like that that makes even less sense than everything else to me. Because mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. one thing to say, you know, Fox uh, made Alien and then Del Rey published the Alien novel. Mm-hmm. And since then, the Alien novel has gone through a couple of different publishers. Mm-hmm. And now it's in print from Titan Books. And Titan Books agreed this deal with Fox. Mm-hmm. Right? Because Disney can justifiably say there's kind of two companies in the way. I mean, I say justifiably. They can't because it's bullshit. But, you know, they at least have a cover of, you know, there's us, there's Fox, there's, there's Del Rey, there's Titan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And be like, oh, we don't know. Contracts are confusing. When it's literally Marvel... <laughs> Right. You know, like there's no third party there. Mm-hmm. It's just Marvel. Mm-hmm. And if you buy a company, you do buy its debts. Well, now, just out of curiosity, um, I mean, we know that we don't necessarily know. It could be some Spider-Man novelization, for example, right? We still don't know what the Spider-Man property that royalties are owed on that haven't been paid are, correct? Yeah, we just know it's a Spider-Man thing. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to check because there's still a way in which it could be maybe, you know, licensed novel, blah, blah, blah. You know, then you get another publisher involved and it's sort of the same old thing. Not quite, but sort of. No, 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 exactly. And, you know, it could also be one of those things where it's it is Marvel, but it's like Marvel Press and Marvel Press technically is part of Disney and not Marvel. Mm -hmm. That That was another weird thing I discovered this week, which I kind of knew, but also had never actually worked it out in such a flat way before. Do you know that Marvel Studio and Marvel Entertainment are two different companies? Um, I want to like say enti- that I entirely, know that. Entirely different. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. share a chief creative officer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they are entirely different companies because Marvel Studios was spun off from Marvel Entertainment. Right. Even though both were owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because that was the whole... Wasn't that how they sectioned off like Perlmutter I, from yeah, the MCU, exactly. I thought. Yeah. Yes, yes. But now Kevin Feige is in charge of all Marvel again. Wow. So, like, I guess that worked out for him. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. But that's how, like, all the TV stuff went weird. Because Marvel TV was still part of Marvel Entertainment. That's right. <laughs> even though Marvel Studios wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then they shuttered Marvel Studios. Uh, Mar- sorry, Marvel TV uh, mm-hmm. two years ago. Which I also didn't know they'd officially done. But there you go. Hmm. Yeah. I like, it's, it, there, there is no such thing as Marvel television anymore. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Huh. Yeah. So yeah, no, no, there, there was like, I was looking at the, the, the sort of corporate history of things, and it's hilarious. Like, Disney bought Marvel, and like, the next year, basically all of Marvel's um, salespeople on the movie side mm-hmm. and publicists were just gone. Wow. We're just, like, quietly removed. <laughs> really? Yeah. That is wild. I wonder what's going on there. Because they wanted to do it through um, through Disney. Yeah, through Disney stuff. Yeah. Oof! Wow! Wow! So you're you've just been up to your neck in the old corporate shenanigans, huh? 
I, I, I did go down a rabbit hole. I've got mm-hmm. to be honest. I really did go down a rabbit hole. But it's a fun rabbit hole question mark. <laughs> question mark. <laughs> I think it's a fun rabbit hole. It's 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 weird. It's weird looking at like all the histories of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And also the, the other weird thing is how the histories of Marvel and DC like map so well. Do they? Basically, like one company will do something one year, and then the same thing will happen to the other company within a couple of years. Really? And I don't just mean like publishing decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean like like being bought by other companies or um, being sued by families of creators and stuff. Wow! Like it's it's really odd. Like it tracks surprisingly well and surprisingly closely. Really? Huh? Yeah, it's really strange. But yeah, so that's that's been me. That's what I've been lost in. Although I also have I have uh, an entirely unrelated to this question, but a question I've been thinking about for the last day or so that I wanted to ask you. Yes. Because you buy you read almost everything digitally now, right? Yes. Do you ever go back to print for something? Mm, eh, I mean, in theory, in theory, but it's been a while. It's been a while. In fact, I checked a couple of graphic novels out of the library because um, we were we were uh, downtown and realized that the library had operating hours again, you know, and we're like, ooh, let's step in there. And so I found two things and I was like, oh, this is great. I, I want to read this. Okay. I totally want to so, read that. So this, this is great. This is totally ties into, ties into a question. Okay. Do you read comics differently digitally than in print? Ah. Uh... Huh. I ask because I uh, I mostly read things digitally now as well. Right. But just in the last two weeks or so, I've honestly gone back to my like showcase collections, like the black and white like DC version of the Marvel Essentials. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And I was I've been reading like the the Haney Brave and the Bold, mm. um, and uh, like the All Star Comics one, the the Justice Society one. Mm-hmm. They did. And I found that I literally am reading the comics differently. Hmm. I it's taking me a more time. I'm spending more time in each page, hmm. and my eye reads the page differently. Really, and I'm trying to work out if it's a print versus digital thing, if it's a black and white versus color thing. Mm-hmm. But it's it's. I'm aware that I am actually physically reading it differently. Hmm. It's that different. And I was wondering if that's just me or if you do the same thing. So so you got these books at the library. Did you read them differently? Well see, I <laughs> Yes. Totally differently from the from the digital because the digital ones I've read and the print ones I haven't. So it's completely different. One one of them involves me actually looking at it and um and the other one doesn't. <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> Hopefully someday I will be able to provide you with, with more fodder for comparison, Graham. I, I, I wish that that were the case. Um, hmm. Yeah, no, I do a lot of my, I do a lot of my reading on digital and there's a couple of things that, um, I'm trying to mix things up a little bit in terms of, hmm. I feel I I thought because I before we had this call I sat down and tracked um, uh, my reading for the month 
And I was like, oh boy, I've got just a ton of stuff that I read. And I'm like, not so much. But this last week when I was on vacation, I actually did read a chunk of things. Um, and it was kind of, I I think for me, what, what I find is, um, at least back when I hit, had print comics, it was kind of like you pick one book and you pile through it until it's done. What I find that I like with digital is a little bit of the poo-poo platter, if I can get that going. And and the way that that works now is kind of, I'll read a few comics on DC Universe Infinite on like Tuesday, then I'm like checking stuff out on Hoopla if I want to read like a relatively recent graphic novel collection or something. And then with Comixology, it's any weekly books that I've subscribed to and I'm trying to do a better job of digging into say masterwork volumes and reading mm-hmm. like say two or three issues of a run from masterworks and then jumping over and reading something else and, and coming back, you know, how, okay. I'm curious. How, how are you liking that approach? Uh, currently I think it's serving me pretty well. Like I, you know, we've just barely touched on it, I feel, but I had mentioned the ways in which I feel like, um, the pandemic has really shattered my attention span. So, um, I think that whereas, you know, before when I was reading, sitting down and reading like 50 or 60 chapters of, of haiku all at once, or all of Chainsaw Man in the course of a glorious week or something like that. Um, I'm kind of enjoying maybe as a result of the, of the, um, attention span thing. I find that reading two or three issues of say a seventies Marvel comic, following it up with some sort of current comic followed up by some kind of manga is, um, I, I think for me, kind of the best way of feeling like I'm still sort of reading things and engaged, um, but but it's also very easy to kind of, it makes it kind of easier to put it down and walk away and then come back to it, I guess, you know? Yeah, no, no, I, I can imagine that. Mm-hmm. Part of me is asking is, I, you know, it sounds very scattered. Mm-hmm. Like one of the things, that I, one of the reasons I am, going to reread these these showcase books is that i found myself i thought i felt that what i was reading was very scattered as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i would basically like of an evening be like well tonight i'm going to read blah 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 and it would be almost random right do you know what i mean i like you know last night for example i was like i'm going to read the entirety of the greg rocker lois lane series wow okay you know and sure it's 12 issues but like there was no reason for me doing that Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just like, oh, that's a comic that I, I, you know, existed and is on in its entirety on DC Universe. Mm-hmm. So, so sure, mm-hmm. you know, and that, um, I don't know, I, 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 there's, there's something enjoyable about that. You definitely read a bunch of different things, yeah, but it also feels like I'm not really uh, sticking to anything, for mm-hmm. a better way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, but part of me is unless you 
do sit down and kind of decide like, oh, I'm going to read. I mean, I'm sure there's still things that you can find. And certainly for me, like if I was like every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, I should I should read all of one piece, you know, because I can because there's practically something like a thousand chapters of it. And and I'm I'm paying a ridiculously cheap flat rate and I can read as much as I want. Uh, And um, but but part of me is kind of like, I don't necessarily know if I, I think I think my 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 comics goal has shifted over the years. Like I think I think back in say the nineties or the early two thousands, definitely tied to print there, you know, and going into the comic book shop, there's kind of a, Oh, I want to find a new series and just kind of tear through it, you know, or a, you're there because there's the three titles that you're obsessed with, but you know, only one of them's coming out that week, so you pick up a couple of other books that look interesting to you. You know, um, I don't. I don't know if I have as much of the obs- obsessive need to like sit down and read like I don't know all of Garth Ennis's Battlefield stories or something like that. You know what I mean? I'm kind of enjoying the the width and breadth of of what I can read. And the thing that's sort of frustrating to me to the extent that there's a frustration is that is actually sort of a more annoyingly accomplished by having several different comic streaming services than actually, you know, sort of comiXology having its shit together, you know, cause I've got a ton of books in comiXology, but they just kind of disappear between those like, recently downloaded and recently purchased and in progress, you know, kind of smart lists. And so there's times where I'm like, oh man, I really have to dig around, you know, because there's that weird, you know, you need where you're like, I kind of need that, um, you know, 70s Marvel itch, you know, that I haven't read that is that I need scratched or I really have a late seventies Kirby or early eighties Kirby thing that I need, you know, fulfilled. And it's sort of, um, it, it does feel all really diffuse, I guess, but I'm trying to, you're like, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. Cause for me, part of the, part of the thrill of physical comics, I guess, was coming back from the shop and having a stack of comics and the idea that the, that the difference between one to the other, you know, to the, to the, to the person who didn't know comics, it just looked like you'd bought a big pile of comics. But when you're like, no, I mean, I've got an issue of Love and Rockets. I've got an issue of Spider-Man. I've got an issue of um, DC Universe Presents. Is that the Superman team-up comic? Yeah, yeah. DC Comics Presents. DC Comics Presents. You know, there's just, just having like five or six or seven books and each one of them being kind of um, hopefully radically different. Um, and so, so I do find myself kind of enjoying that, that idea of, you know, let, let's sift around for something new, even if maybe four fifths of it isn't actually necessarily that new to me, unfortunately. It, what's funny is, you know, you're talking about coming back from the comic store and 
uh, I like you know I get for example DC comps. Yes. Right. Um, and I like that experience. Mm-hmm. I like the experience of like this is this week's comics. Do you know what I mean? And dropping in for an issue of, uh, you know, whatever Teen Titans Academy or or mm-hmm. you know Wonder Woman or or whatever. You know, I I do like that. I like the idea of the this is new, this is current, and I can read an issue and I can read an issue of something else and blah 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 and blah blah blah. But I feel that I find myself wanting a more complete reading experience very often, where I do want to you know at least go through a storyline, if not like you know a bunch of com- a bunch of issues mm-hmm. of a particular comic to feel like I've got something. I mean, guess I guess it's like reading the trade right but doing it on digital service right um so i i I understand the idea of you know it's nice to almost recreate the comic store experience but there feels like there's something else besides that somehow Uh uh-huh does that make sense yeah like I'm, i'm looking for something additionally right right well, and I, I do get that. And I do feel that, I mean, that's kind of my, uh, I, I feel like that's available to you, certainly digitally, which may or may not be your point per se. But, you know, there there are well, a it, lot of trades on Hoopla that are. Yeah, know, yeah. No, 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 no. There definitely is. And I'm, yeah. and that's what I, that's what I feel I'm doing. Like I'm using mm-hmm. DC Universe and Marvel Unlimited to like batch read comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm going again, like, you know, I'm going to read the entire Lois Lane series or I'm going to go and reread, uh, you know, Avengers, no way home or no way out, whatever it's called. Right. The, the second of the weekly books that Al Ewing and Mark Wade and Jim Zub did. Yeah. I've followed like, and then follow that up with Al Ewing's guards of the galaxy. Cause it's all one big story, mm-hmm. you know, like I, and I and I find that rewarding. Mm-hmm. This is almost separate from the, but I reprint comics separately. But it, I've discovered that I do. Like I'm almost looking for different experiences mm-hmm. in 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 the, in different formats, in different. I mean, are they different media? Kind of different media. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's just I don't know. I I've, I've noticed the way I am reading comic shifts depending on where I'm reading them, mm-hmm. for one of a better. And also, I, I feel my attention span is shorter digitally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I can believe that um, because, uh, well, to take your last point first, um, digital is kind of, is so amorphous, you know. I think that's one of the things that I find amusing and sad about me is I will read, sit down and read, buy and read a digital trade rather than a batch of the same issues via say Marvel Unlimited which I have access to you know sure and i think some of that is the idea of you have a starting point and you have a stopping point you know and yeah, when you've yeah. got a physical collection in your hand there is that kind of like oh i can you know i can keep pressing through i've got like you know, I'm two thirds of the way through the volume. It's still early. Why don't I just polish this off tonight? Um, and I think sometimes reading digitally because it's all so weightless. Um, I mean, that's that's one of the things that I'm kind of in awe when I hear about the. I mean, 
and to come back to your first point, I feel that you have always been more of, like you said, a batch reader. Like you're kind of like, oh, I fell down a rabbit hole and reread the entire run of blah, blah, blah. You know, like I think yeah. you were doing that before. I think you and Chloe totally have reinforced that behavior uh, in one another, I'm guessing, because <laughs> I feel like you are much more that way now, even you know, than you were, say, five years ago or four years yeah, ago. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that, yeah, I think that's very true. You know, and so, you know, I've always kind of been in awe. I kind of, it's hard for me in digital to be like, you know, every once in a while I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sit down and read uh, all of, uh, I don't even remember what it's called, No Man's Land, you know, for the, the Batman earthquake martial law thing, you know. That'll be that'll be a hoot and a holler. And it just seems I mean, part of it is kind of the fact that I don't think they organize those events especially well um, digitally. So it would require a certain amount of like, OK, let's sit down and break out my map and kind of go through this and this and this and this. Yeah, and this. no, no. Co- collections are much better for for uh, events. Yeah. Yeah, for for big events like that, even though the whole event is kind of is in theory there on DC Universe, it's or Marvel Unlimited, it could be really a mess. Um, but but nonetheless, I just find that you know I find myself dipping into like DC Universe and Marvel Unlimited and looking at what's new and reading stuff that might catch my eye, and not doing an especially good job of digging into the back pages you know like and which is probably part of the reason why i appreciate when um dc throws in more old books in the week's worth of digitizing you know they're they're throwing Mm -hmm. in some of those uh frank robbins written issues of batman recently that that are you know not showstoppers um for batman but but I find like kind of solid. Like I'm kind of like, oh, this is oh cool. yeah, no, 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 yeah. They're, they're they're seeing when they add like random old books for one of a better way of putting it. Things yeah. we're like, this, like why? <laughs> like I, well, I mean, you, I tweeted about it, but you saw that they're adding wastelands next. Yes, month, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was hoping we would mention this as an official announcement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's incredibly exciting. They're doing three issues a week. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Which is, is nuts. I mean, mm-hmm. is there a collection coming or something? Because three issues a week is genuinely an odd thing to do. But Wasteland's a great book that no one talks about anymore. Well, yeah. You know, I like mean, people, yeah. people were really excited about, you know, they're doing Who's Who Update 87. Sure, yes. I get it. But also, they're doing Wasteland. Yeah, no, Wasteland is crazy. For those who are listening to us and who don't know, I'm sure most of you guys... I, I would suspect most of you do. Wasteland, even by DC standards, was kind of a weird, weird mix. It was an anthology series, except unlike other DC anthology series, it was written by the same two people, John Ostrander and Dale Close. And then all the stories were drawn by a, the same set of artists. So it was like Don Simpson and David Lloyd... And, I can't and George remember. Freeman is in there. George yeah. Freeman's in there. I love, like, I love George Freeman's work. I, mm. I didn't, like, I didn't know who he was, and I didn't know that he wasn't a thing. If that makes sense, right? Because I feel like I feel like he was the, the the artist who doesn't really 
like have a following, didn't really have a name before yeah, that in yeah, a way that Don exactly. Thompson and, and David Lloyd did. But I like he was the winner for me. I was just like, oh, he's amazing. <laughs> uh, that see, and I'm I'm looking forward to revisiting those. So it was them telling eight page stories or maybe three six page stories or something per issue. Um, you know, just nothing else kind of like it. You know, and what it just really pretty great. Um, very, uh, a very unique set of circumstances that you just have never seen again and just made for just always a terrific little read whenever it showed up on the stands. I was always like, oh, this is great, you know, and really of a particular late 80s flavor of DC that I sort of feel like, you know, has not you know, is, is there's still a lot of other stuff to strip mine it. You know what I mean? Like there's a whole, for lack of a better term, and I don't know if this is even accurate at all, but Chicago influence, you know, on DC in the late eighties. Um, I think I always assume in my head without ever doing any research or knowing how much I'm talking out of my ass. But when Mike gold came from first to DC, and then yeah, yeah, brought... he he brought something with him, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And... No, no, I I I feel that's very much a thing. I don't think you're imagining that. I feel that that was very very real. Okay, okay, and that's just very much like Wasteland seems right smack in the center of all that in that sense. Yeah, I'm pretty so. sure he was the editor of Wasteland. Yeah. Yeah. With again, sort of makes sense to me. So. Yeah. yeah no, that's no, an amazing. It, thing. But again, like when they put stuff like that up. And again, yeah. that stuff that you, or or you know, again, thinking DC Universe, the the um, Let Them Live series, yes, mm-hmm. which is is inventory tales that are only getting published mm-hmm. on DC Universe. You know, like that stuff's fascinating to me, right? Like I I, I love seeing that sort of stuff. I love mm-hmm. seeing the stuff that, honestly, I would never think to buy for one of a better way of putting it. Oh yeah, yeah. And that that you're like, well, this is great. Uh, yeah. You know, this past week they put up the first 10 pages of the two round robin finalists. Spoilers, I didn't like both of them, but um, but it's still an interesting thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, I mean, I've read three issues of that Batman Fortnite thing, you know, um, in part because it's, you know, they're dropping it digitally on DC Universe. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. I'm, it's mm-hmm. there. And why not? Right? Because, mm-hmm. again, I've done the same. Right. I've read all of it because it's on. It's there. And you go, well, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, so I think, I think there is. So I use, I think, because of my various inabilities to really tackle, um, batch reading i guess you know reading in batches on digital i think i tend to use it as you know sort of the dipping sauce kind of thing it's like oh i'll read one or two new releases from dc universe and then i'm going to browse um shonen jump to see what's you know if there's anything that i should really be reading you know like uh viz offered that free it's probably ended if um that free copy of demon slayer i should know the full title and of course i don't um and i gotta say i read the first volume it took a while uh demon slayer uh kimitsu no yaba 
uh, I read that they gave away the full first volume of that to promo the fact that they've got the the movie that yeah. is debuting and playing, and um, and I, I'm now sort of I'm you know basically finished up the first volume and jumped over to Shonen Jump and I'm basically through what this where the second volume would end, um, and that that was a good way to kind of get me started and lead and lead me in. And it would be curious to see if they can get away with doing more of that. Uh, like kind of any of the companies in a way I'm fascinated that DC is doing digital releases only. And in some cases with the Batman Fortnite stuff, releasing it same as day and date. And that is that's still way ahead of anything that Marvel Unlimited. Yeah, is I mean doing. they're doing that. You're, they're doing that with the milestone stuff as well. You've seen that, right? Uh, uh no. Wait, which the new part? milestone books are all day and day in DC Universe. Are they? Oh shit. Yep. Oh, yep. I did not realize. Huh? Which again, I've only seen feels the like a big issues. deal, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, well, they've, they've not launched yet. They launch next month, but yeah, they're wow. all going to be day and day with with the with uh with stores. Wow. In-store day is going to be the same day and day as DC Universe Day. Ooh, wow. Well, that's pretty... Right, that, again, that feels like a big deal. And honestly, I think it's going to build a lot more of an audience. I sure hope so. I mean, I sure hope so. I mean, that's one of those things where... <laughs> okay, here's a bad, like, the worst form of, um, like, anecdotal data point nonsense. But... I think I, that, that lead in. Yes, exactly. Well, so so I have a coworker at work that I know A is a big video game player and was a big Fortnite fan. Like literally to the point part of why I know this is like trying to get her schedule um and trying to get her to do some overtime like I don't know this is like a year ago or something and she's like, "Yeah, I kind of can't do Thursdays cuz that's when the new content drops." And I'm like, Wow. Okay. That's uh that's devotion. Anyway, and I know her husband is like a massive comic book fan, admittedly all print, but a big comic book fan. She may have just not wanted to have this conversation with me, but I was like, Hey, did you, do you know about, do you and your husband know about Batman Fortnite? And she's like, uh, no, I'm like, you know, each issue comes with like a unique digital code like for to unlock in-game outfits. She's like, oh my God, that sounds really cool. And I'm like, so you didn't know about it? You know what I mean? Like it was just, it was one of those things. Um, and I mean, you know, she knows now in part because every time I read an issue, I can forward the codes to her so that she can download the grappling hook or the whatever. But I was really kind of surprised. Like, I'm like, yeah, you guys should be on that. Now, I've discussed with the husband before, and he's apparently not too down with digital at all. He's Mr. Like, print or die. But part of me is like, just, but just get the service. Like, it's, you know, part of me is like, it's super cheap, you know, and also how did you not know about this? And so part of me really does like, I would love it if the milestone stuff being day and date digital on DC universe grows um, attention and perception for those characters. But 
I don't know, Graham. I, I mean, honestly, yeah, I, mean, I really, I, you know I, what I mean? I think I would, yeah, but I was really thinking about people who were already on DC Universe who wouldn't otherwise pick up the books. <sighs> I, mean, I wasn't. I wasn't suggesting it was going to drive a new audience to the DC universe. Well, maybe no, it will. No. I, I mean, maybe. But I, 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 I'm one again. People who already have the service. Well, I think, you know, like we were saying, you have it already. <laughs> right. Why so, would yeah. you check? Why wouldn't you yeah. read it? Why wouldn't you check it out? Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's so many, and I think this is to kind of potentially at least clumsily steer it back to what we were saying about whatever the hell Warner's is doing and, 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 uh, and the future of streaming is, you know, the difference between new and new to you is, is kind of important, at least if only from a marketing realm, you know, and it used to be pre pandemic, pre the Disney plus juggernaut that there was when it came to movies, a really easy way to understand sort of how you were going to market things and how you could, how basically people knew which thing was quote unquote more important. You know what I mean? Like it was like, Oh, this big movies only in theaters or this big movie is only on IMAX. But But that's not the thing though. Right. You know, now it's, 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 you know, you have HBO Max, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. How many movies have you watched, quote unquote, new release movies have you watched because they're there that you, like, not only wouldn't have gone to the theater for, but you wouldn't really have thought about? Uh, I mean, one, I mean, you know, that all the little things, I think, the, the Denzel Washington, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was oof, that was a mistake. But I mean, like Judas and the Black Messiah, I was dying to see that from the first trailer. So yeah, yeah, I would have yeah. gone and seen that in the theaters. And then ditto with Godzilla versus Kong, Kong Godzilla. Like I would say both of those had really better than 70% odds that I were I was going to go see them. But, you know, the Tom and Jerry movie, it's not like, like, part of me was like, yeah, maybe. And I'm like, or maybe not. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, yeah, that's, that's the, like, that's the data point I'm really curious about. You know, I mm-hmm. said before that, that that deal has lost Warner's a lot of money, reportedly. Yeah. But I also know that I, there have been many times I have considered watching some of those movies, but I'm not sure I've actually watched one that I wouldn't have gone to the theater for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, like, I'm like, no, but sometimes I'm like, uh, well, you know, well, well, maybe the, the Angelina Jolie is like saving a kid in a, in a forest fire movie will be great, but I haven't yet pulled the trigger and watching it. Yeah. <laughs> do you know I what mean, I mean? I might. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I do. I do. And see so that. I, so I, I do wonder how much, I don't know. Cause, cause for comics, it feels like less of a time commitment. Mm-hmm. For want of a better way of putting it, like mm-hmm. I can read a comic in, in you know, a few minutes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so sure I'll read Batman Fortnite because right. honestly, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so maybe it is different. Maybe maybe it is going to draw people to the service, or maybe if people are on the service, then they will check things that they wouldn't normally check out. But when I look at like HBO Max, I'm like, well, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Well. 
I mean, I don't know. They're all over the map with whatever they think is happening with HBO Max, I think. You know, I mean, how do I put it? Like, there is a... Disney Plus and, and Warner's, they're still sort of scrambling to catch up with Netflix, you know, and Netflix... Oh, and, and, and then some. Netflix has like five times more subscribers than either. Right, exactly, right? And Netflix was has been building up the amount of original content that it has. Um, and I think that that... What I'm fascinated by is how much some of that stuff is considered a draw. Like, for me, honestly, Netflix is most recent new content I've been more inclined to check out than I would say other really? stuff because what I was going to say is like I watch HBO Max stuff way more than Netflix yeah like, yeah way more like mm-hmm. you know I think of Legendary I think of Hacks you know those are those are destination shows for me now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and I can't think of like the last Netflix thing I was you know really into was I don't know, Kid Cosmic maybe, or maybe Kid Cosmic. You know, and that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But before that, like I, I don't know. The Queen's, Gambit. you know, maybe something after. No, yeah, Queen's probably Gambit Queen's Gambit. Gambit yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but I feel like there's consistently something on HBO Max. I'm going. I'm like, oh, I should check that out. That looks interesting. Hmm. Hmm. In a way that there's not on Netflix. I know there's definitely not on Disney Plus. Disney Plus is is a wasteland. <laughs> interesting. Wow, that's yeah, that's. Uh... I don't know, I can't speak for Disney+, Plus, but I definitely do find myself, like HBO Max every once in a while, I'm like, oh yeah, but not as much the, not as much of their new content as much as if they get a bunch of older stuff in on one of their hubs, say. So oh I yeah, sure, it does like you. Like, yeah. you know, every every month I check out what's new on, on TCM. I mean, yes. Right. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but like, I, I mean, for example, are you not watching Hacks? Uh, I am not watching Hacks. Jack, and... you've got to watch Hacks. It's so good. Like, uh, in all seriousness, it's great. Yeah. And and I think you'd love it. I genuinely think you'd like it. Okay. Um, uh, and, and, and it's, but it seems, I mean, I can't, I honestly can't think of, uh, recent Netflix, like, original content dramas. Uh. I, there's got to be. There has to be a list somewhere, right? Well, I mean, I don't know. So there's shows, but like, for example, I just watched Army of the Dead last night. I take it you guys did not. I, I still I still haven't seen it, and I actually mean to. Yeah. I just have, I, I, like, I've not, I've not checked into it. I was in the middle of saying that I I couldn't think of anything, like, that Netflix have done that, that, that has, has hooked me, like, in recent memory. And then I look up Netflix, and I was like, oh, The Circle. And the circle was just like two months ago, and I just forgot. Even mm-hmm. maybe they go. Yeah, I don't know. So maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm talking at my ass. All I know is I feel like I'm consistently watching more on HBO Max, and I don't just mean the old movies. Oh, I I definitely think that is true. Uh, there's certainly a section of our evenings uh, over the last year where it's like you've talked about stuff on HBO Max, or every once in a while it's something we've both watched on HBO Max. So, so do you want to tell me about the uh, Friends reunion? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'll tell you that I'm not going to watch that. So, yeah, I, 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 James Corden gets around, I guess. I I don't know. James Corden, yeah, man, 
Woof. Yeah, look, he's, he wants to be. I saw what he did a commercial for something I saw the other day, and I was just like, oh no. And I was really upset, mostly because Reggie Watts was in it, and I was like, okay, like James Gordon, it's it's one thing for you to do this, but but do you have to get Reggie Watts involved as well? <laughs> Draw Maybe, the line, James Gordon. Well, you know, it's like maybe I mean, Reggie, Reggie Watts wants to get. Paid? Yeah, that's what Reggie wants. Does the, the, the music on his show? So it's not like you know. Oh, is he the, the music the, dude for James? Yes. Oh Jesus! Oh yeah. Oh. So it's like it's not like I should be surprised. You know, for some reason I was. I was like, oh, now you're both embarrassing yourself. No. <laughs> wow, that's um, yeah. Well, you know, I feel like we should at some point uh, talk about how uh, crap. James Gordon is, but I, I, you know, let's, let's not like, but like, that's not, no, that's, that's not tonight's no. episode. No, 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 it's not. I do want to say, episodes. what's that? Let's save that for an anniversary. Yes, absolutely. Uh, by all means, let's have Steve Englehart on to shit talk him. That would be awesome. Oh my so, God, that would be amazing. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, uh, okay. So uh, you were saying that you had heard people saying that army of the dead was not so great. Yes, yes, I have. Okay. Am I wrong? I don't know. I'm conflicted on it. I, on the one hand, enjoyed it. On the other hand, I'm a little creeped out by how much Zack Snyder content, like, the pandemic has foisted upon me. You know what I mean? Like, it's sort of, uh, between this and and the five-hour Snyder cut, I'm just like, what am I doing to myself? That being said... I did like it. I just there were some parts that didn't that struck me as could be better. I think, but I, I yeah, no, no. it's Zack Snyder film. I know, right? <laughs> but gen, but generally, I quite liked it. Um, you know, I it's it's a it's a weird movie. Let's put it that way. Like it's definitely like. I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck he was doing with all the Wagner references. Wagner references, I should say. Like, okay, I thought from a second you meant John Wagner, and I was like, holy shit! Oh my god, that's amazing! Yes, that would be yes. amazing. That would make... Yeah. That would, I would watch. If you were like, <laughs> there are a lot of John Wagner references, I'd be like, really? And then I'd have to tune in just to see what, what it would be. Yeah, the great thing is I'd only have to say there was one, and... And then that may not be enough for you, but Chloe would drag you to the. I was going to say, yeah, one hundred percent. She would be like, "Let's go." Yeah, I heard there was a Wagner reference here. So yeah, a weird series of of uh, Wagner themes that are really strangely kind of like it just seems like such a weird thing to mesh into your zombie heist movie, you know. Um, so, so part of me is like, but, so I kind of, but I did, I did, God help me. I kind of like it. I, you know, it was, it was way better than Batman versus Superman, at least the theatrical cut, you know? So yeah, it, um, I personally found it worthwhile. I'm not sure if you would, and I'm kind of sort of not sure if Chloe would, but I would I have mean, to the say. Thing is, you, you know, you have yeah. to start. I didn't say like I don't really like zombie stories. First of all, mm-hmm. like you you were saying this is the person who read The Walking Dead for years, right? Exactly, exactly. 
So there's there's some stuff that they do uh, with this that I kind of liked was very much of the, you know, he's like, oh, he created a zombie taxonomy that, you know, is very easily sort of understood and, you know, leads to different types of zombies within the same film and you get to do some other stuff. It was, yeah, I mean, it was totally, it was totally okay. Um but yeah, I can see where you, as a, as a non-zombie dude, wouldn't really be into it. But um, but yeah, I'm like kinda... I like I liked the trailer a lot. But in mm-hmm. large part, what I liked about the trailer was it was so over the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the idea the idea that the film would manage that seems unlikely, and also slightly exhausting. Right, right. You know, uh, like yeah. At, mm-hmm. at, at what point does that just become too much? Mm-hmm. Is is the concern, but also you know, and if it doesn't manage that, at what point do I become bored? Right, right. So you know, it's kind so of it really, a it's it's a for you. it is a damned if you do, damned if you don't thing, really. Right, right, yeah. You know, um, it, it kind of can't win, which honestly might be another reason why I've not watched it yet. That I, I, you know, I feel I'm almost fated to be disappointed by it. And I is... like that trailer a lot, so I, I, I'm like. No, just let the trailer be enough. It's. Um, did you see? You probably didn't. Did you see Chloe's tweet about making me watch um, Crank Two today? <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Okay, so the reason for this is I am scrolling through of all things Peacock, mm-hmm. uh, and they have Crank on it, and I'm like, you know what? I bet the trailer for Crank is funny, and I've never seen Crank, mm-hmm. but I know mm-hmm. I know the premise. I'm like, I bet the trailer for Crank is and Crank is funny, right. and I watch it, and it's so hilariously over the top that I was like, I don't need to see the film. This is a perfect piece of cinema in and of itself. Right. And then it's like, we also have Crank 2, High Voltage. And I was like, how do you do a sequel? Like, it's Speed 2, but more so. How do you do a sequel to Crank? I've got to watch the trailer. And the trailer for Crank 2 is, if anything, even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know the do you know the basic gimmick of Crank 2? You know the basic gimmick of Crank, right? I, I do know the basic gimmick of Crank. I have forgotten the basic gimmick of Crank 2. And I've never I've seen neither Crank, I should okay. say. So for people who don't know, mm-hmm. Crank sees Jason got up with a drug that uh, inhibits his adrenaline. So he basically has to have it. He's an hour before he dies. And he, is, he has to keep his adrenaline up in order to get revenge on the people who have killed him. Right, right. Great premise. It's amazing. Yeah. Like that's it's such an amazing high concept. Yeah. The, the the trailer is so great because you can tell that everyone is taking it seriously and not seriously at the same time. Like no one's actually right. taking it seriously, but everyone's committed to the bit. Right. And you're like, this this is exactly what I want from this film. This is great. But again, I have no desire to watch the film. The film will not live up to this trailer. This trailer is so perfect. The film won't live up to it. Starts with Jason Statham dying at the end of Crank One, and then revealing he hadn't died. Instead, he'd been kept alive by a shadowy organization that wanted to steal his heart and replace it with a pacemaker whose battery was running out. And he has an hour's worth of battery power to get revenge on the people who have stolen his heart. I can only assume your silence is because you're stunned. Oh, my silence is because I accidentally muted myself, but I was laughing quite a lot. Okay, so yeah. it gets better. Mm-hmm. In the trailer, you have his doctor who's on the phone with, actually say the line, I'm pretty sure that if you get your heart, I can put it back in. <laughs> like, just the fact 
<laughs> which is so great because it's so much like I don't give a shit about the science. This is just what we're doing. Right. But then at some point, it shows you that Jason Statham keeps on having to get recharged. And mm-hmm. so he gets hooked up to a, a car battery and they attach the clips to his nipples. Uh-huh. And at one point, the doctor's like, you've got to rub it against something for static electricity. And so you see Jason Statham grinding on like this old lady. <laughs> Just amazing, right? And then <laughs> you're seeing on the trailer like Jason Statham punching people and yada 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 yada. Right. And then it cuts to a newsreader who is the fakest looking newsreader in the world, uh, saying, "One man is behind the chaos and mayhem and lewdness that is engulfing the city." <laughs> <laughs> and it really is this moment of no film can live up to this trailer, but this trailer is the most perfect thing I've ever seen. Because it really does play out like a joke. Wow. Like, legitimately plays out like a joke. It plays out like a 30 Rock trailer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, very much so. But, so I, I'm like, this this is amazing. And so Chloe comes in the room and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I've just watched the trailers for Crank and Crank 2. Have you seen them? And she's like, I've seen Crank, but I've never seen the trailer. And I play the trailer and she's like, well, that's, that's Crank. And I was like, what, have you seen Trent? And she's like, no. And I was like, you've got to watch the trailer. And she was so stunned by it. Because <laughs> the other thing is, it's shot in such a way that it and it resembles nothing as much as a Limp Biscuit video. Wow. Wow. That, that she was like, well, we have to watch this. <laughs> like, there's no doubt about it. We're going to watch this. So um, at some point... We will be watching Crank 2. How we got in the subject, I actually have forgotten. Apart mm. from, I think it was Studio... Oh, it's uh, Army of the Dead. Uh, mm-hmm. Trailers that I never want to see the film because I like the trailer so much. Mm. And I'm mm. the, the the reality is going to not live up. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Like, I, get, I get everything I need from, from Crank and Crank 2 from that trailer. Uh-huh. I honestly feel like there's no way the film could be better than that trailer. Huh. You know? Do you remember the the onion joke when Iron Man had his first trailer out? Uh, I don't remember the onion joke. There's an onion joke that there is no Iron Man film. Uh-huh. That the trailer is such a perfect thing that that's all they made. <laughs> yeah, I, I. it's funny. You know, it, isn't that kind of... I mean, the thing that I think is funny is kind of... Mm, I was re-watching the Suicide Squad trailer, uh, the James Gunn film, you know, which itself is such a really great little piece of itself. And I kind of found myself thinking, like, maybe I shouldn't see this movie. You know what I mean? Because part of me is like, I doubt it will be as good as the trailer. But weirdly, I sort of feel like, hmm, how do I put it? Like, I mean, it's just one of the challenges of trailers, I guess, actually, is like, how much do they give you enough of the 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 idea the of film. the movie yeah. and the enjoyment that you're going to have without you basically, you know, kind of deciding, oh, I've seen it all, you know? Like, I think we were talking about this a little bit maybe uh, within the last month about how movie scripts seem to have so many different spins and twists in part so that you can 
do a movie trailer and set out the premise and set out the twist and still have some stuff left over for the third twist that'll surprise you so that there's not a kind of like, oh, I saw it all in the trailer kind of feeling. Um, mm. I, I feel like the trailers have sort of warped the movie. One of the things that's interesting to me about Army of the Dead is he does a lot of stuff via montage um, to get some really cool moments in there. In fact, a a lot of... I, I'll have to re-see the trailer, but there was a tremendous amount of stuff during the opening credits that I was like, oh, this is kind of amazing. Like, he can use as much of this stuff as he wants, kind of, to... He could have made a trailer out of his entire credit sequence and yeah. then... And, you know, and then giving himself carte blanche to do whatever he wanted with the uh, the next two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah, the rest minutes. of the film. Yeah, so. Um, and in so fact, wait, are you recommending I watch it, Jeff? Well, I don't know, Graham. I, I, part of me is, I don't think so. Because I don't think that there's enough there, there that you would enjoy it despite the rest of the material that you don't because you don't care for it. You know, like I said, like weirdly I could find myself recommending it to Chloe and suggesting that Chloe watch it and she might have more to say about it, or she just might be, that was terrible. I have no idea what the fuck you're thinking, but I would feel like my odds would be better than it would be with you for the listeners of the podcast. I would say Go for it, depending on how much of a Zack Snyder quote-unquote fan you are or how much you just sort of like um, sort of big movie violence movies. You know what I mean? Because there's, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people getting shot in the head in in this film. And, you know, that's that could be a real positive, you know? And I don't necessarily think that those things are the sort of draws for you. You know what I mean? Like we're just you never... say this to someone who who recently just rewatched the uh, the Long Kiss Goodnight, the Gina Davis Samuel Jackson yes. movie. Yeah, see, that's yeah. exactly that. This is exactly what I'm talking about, Graham. This is exactly what I'm talking about. With all due respect to you, Long Kiss Goodnight is fine. Honestly, no, it's, it's I mean... not. It's really bad. <laughs> Well, and I guess I that's kind of being, my thing. I remembered it being much, not even better. I remembered it being trashy fun. Mm -hmm. And and by that, I guess what I mean is I remember it being more fun than it actually is. Mm -hmm. uh, because the bits that I enjoyed the most were the completely over-the-top bits, and there's not enough of them. Yes. And then it turns right. into like a duller version of over-the-top. Yeah, yeah, completely. Although any film that ends up with a showdown at the Canadian border for, you know, is you can't hate it that much. But, <laughs> you know. I wanted more of the when she's when Gina Davis is remembering all her suppressed memories. She mm -hmm. has dreams where like the the unsuppressed the suppressed version is in a mirror and they're on a cliff top for no reason. Mm -hmm. Like that's what I wanted more of. That's very funny. Yeah, oh, I it, don't. It's it's on HBO Max as well, Jeff. So oh, there's that. Well, yeah. Well, so so I guess that's it. I'm I'm saying that I don't even think that that would be. You know, the number one Rennie Harlan 
Gina Davis movie that I would recommend to you, or the number oh boy, one? What other what other Randy Harlan, Harlan Gina Davis movie is there? Cutthroat Island, baby. Cutthroat oh, Island no. was the yeah, first. Right, of there are like three. So they did three. Oh, I they were supposed to do three. I there was supposed to be one more, and I think it got canceled after Long Kiss Goodnight did nothing. But because it's or terrible. they got divorced or something. Yeah, some, something like that. It's, but it's also it's not it's not the number one Shane Black movie that I would. It, it's no, not well, the number no, one I, Rennie Harlan Samuel L. Jackson movie that I, I would I've recommend got to, be honest, to you. I watched it because I just finished watching The Good Guys. <laughs> oh, oh see, the nice, right. Sorry, the it, nice guys. The nice guys? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just nice watched the nice guys, and I was like Shane Black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I saw that, and I was like Shane Black, and mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was a mistake. Yeah, well, but no, but I mean, but that's it. So I guess that's what I'm saying is, is like every once in a while you dip your toes into those things, and it's great. But you're not the sort of guy where well, I'm, not, sort I'm not of like connoisseur at all, right? Although it's interesting hearing you change over, you know, again, over the last year or so, where you're like, I watched all the Alien movies. Now we're going to watch all the Predator films. And I'm just like, what has happened to my friend? Has anyone seen my friend? I think he has been <laughs> replaced. I'm sorry. I just, I, I just looked up Randy Harlan and man, he made some films. Didn't he? Didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yes, yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he, did he did Die Harder. He did Cliffhanger. Dude, he did Deep Blue didn't Sea. Tell me, yeah, you didn't tell me the Cutthroat Island was actually a bigger bomb than Long Kiss Goodnight. In fact, this is apparently one of the biggest box office bombs of all time, losing $147 million. Yeah. I'm leading to bankruptcy of Carlco Pictures. Yeah. Good job. They made Long Kiss Goodnight after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that someone let him, like, again, like, part of that. Make another been, film. Yeah. It may have been the Shane Black factor. But uh, but yeah yeah in fact uh, Gina Davis and he did get divorced after uh, after Long Kiss Goodnight mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's probably why there wasn't yet a third so Gina Davis thanks Wikipedia there's an interesting person there's an interesting person she went on to become an Olympic archery champion Olympic level archery champion after all that you know did she yeah 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 no seriously she was like. Uh, at one point, might have been ranked number three, either in the U.S. or the world. I don't remember for female archery, like amazingly. Wikipedia disagrees with you. Really? Yes. Wikipedia is a dirty liar. What does it say? Davis was one of three hundred women who vied for a semifinals berth in the U.S. Olympic archery team in July 1999 mm-hmm. uh, to participate in the 2000 Summer Olympics. She placed twenty fourth and did not qualify for the team. Oh, wait, but okay. she did participate as a wildcard entry in the Sydney International Golden Arrow competition. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm you vindicated. Go. No, I'm clearly not vindicated. Other than the fact I, but that... I, I, I like that you remember that. Yeah, I mean, it's stuck. That, that makes me happy. It's um, stuck. Gina Davis, Gina Davis was in Tootsie. I, I did not know that. Oh, She yeah. was also in Fletch. Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> Fletch is good. Don't... Can't give you any big ups. I do Fletch think she made multiple Fletch. films with with Jeff Goldblum, and it seems entirely accidental. What do you mean it seemed entirely accidental? Transylvania six five six five o o o fly right. and girls are easy all in the space yeah. of like three years. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and I don't remember when they became a couple. If it was after Earth Girls Are Easy or if it was during the Fly. Let's but... see if there's something in her personal life. But part, uh, of, part of that is she because met, they're both tall. She met him, she met him uh, on the set of Transylvania 65, 65 oh, 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 
Uh, they married in November 1st, 1987, and appeared together in two more films, The Fly and Earth Girls Are Easy. Mm-hmm. Then they divorced in 1990. Yeah. 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 Right? Gina Davis. Well, welcome, Strange everyone, stuff. to the Gina Davis podcast. Gina Davis actually approached Stephen Hawking's about uh, his brief history of space time, saying that she found uh, she thought she'd found a flaw in his theory, and he actually like rolled over his her foot with his little wheelchair trying to get away from her because that was that's um, that's also amazing. And I'm not going to look up Wikipedia to find out if that's true because I want that to be true. <laughs> I did just find out via Wikipedia that she is not only in Shira and the Princesses of Power, she's also in Glow. So wow, there you go. There you go. Yeah. I honestly thought she'd retired, but but no. No, she's still she's still kicking, man. Still kicking. In her she life. is in fact still kicking. Good for, good for her. Good for you, Gina Davis. Good good on you. Anyway, yeah. Um, long kiss goodnight. Like Not good. Yeah, I feel like we should talk about comics. I feel like we've had like a really really random. You can tell it's it's been three weeks since the last episode, can you? I I, I guess so. I guess so. Because it because we're just talking all over the place. Yeah, we are just um, utterly meandering. That could be, Graham. Okay, well, so comics. You start. Tell me. Wait, why is this? Um, I, I, I've been reading, like I said, like weird things. I feel like I've, I've been going back and forth about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, honestly, I've been enjoying more than anything sort of comps of things that are upcoming. I'm mm-hmm. mostly British. Uh, 2000D is putting out a digital release of something called Firekind in September. Which I cannot recommend more. Jeff, huh. this is hmm. of interest to you. It's John Smith. Hmm. Uh, essentially, 20 years for Avatar doing Avatar. Huh. Um, and it is... And Paul Marshall does the art. Paul Marshall, who's been in a few of these drugs uh, as well recently. Um, it's, it's wonderful. It's horrifically overwritten. Uh, it, but when I was saying in the last drop that I thought that a lot of the language that Smith was using in his story felt like a cliche, mm-hmm. it's because he was doing it in this story first, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it was, it was honestly very fun to go back and reread that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that number and it's digital only. And I genuinely highly recommend it, especially to you, Jeff. Mm. It is uh, a weird science fiction fantasy story that, like I said, is Avatar. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the story that you've read Thrill Fire Overload. You might remember this. They forgot to publish a chapter in the middle mm-hmm. uh, and just jumped to the next chapter. And no one noticed because <laughs> the story makes that little sense <laughs> that they noticed after the series was finished and they had to print the missing chapter. So mm. that's a good sign right there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, no, it's 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 such a uh, again like weirdly overwritten purple prose, but somehow awesome book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I I I I'm charmed by it. I'm utterly charmed by it. Uh, the Hershey Collection is coming out soon as well. I think it's in August, which is Rob Williams and Simon Fraser doing a, a Dread spinoff, mm-hmm. and. It's it's well written. It's you know I'm not going to put down William stuff here at all because it's a it's a well written book. Um, but what Simon Fraser is doing in art and in particular in colors, it's just great. Uh, it's for the most part uh, black, white, and one other color, mm-hmm. uh, and he uses that very well. But 
there are points where that's not the case. Yeah. And what he does with colors when he adds additional colors is really smart in the way that it controls the reader's experience. That it's just like a visually stunning book. It's it's a really, really, really good looking book. Mm. Um, that's August also, I think August or maybe September. Um, the third volume of Lawless is coming out, which is another Dread spinoff that is probably one of my favorite comics of the last few years. Right. Um, the setup is it's an off-world colony. There is a judge who may or may not be who she says she is, who shows up to basically be the be the one cop in the town. Right. Um, and the town. It turns out that the town is not what everyone there thinks it is, because there's a corporation that has been bankrolling it for nefarious reasons. And the third volume is what happens when the town is like, fuck you, it's the corporation. The corporation is like, we're so rich, we'll just destroy you. Wow. And what happens when that happens? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's really, again, it's really smart. There, there are some just wonderful storytelling choices there. There's some really good fake-outs that aren't even fake-outs. But like he played, uh, Dan Abnett's the writer. Um, he he plays with not only the reader's expectations, but what you can do in a comic. I mean, you could do it in other media as well, but it works particularly well in a comic in terms of jumping forward in time between chapters. Hmm. So you have a, a massive cliffhanger at the end of one chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's like 30 years later, this happens. Wow. Uh, and then you get a flashback from the person 30 years in the future's point mm-hmm. to what happened mm-hmm. uh and it's just it's very very fucking smart it's a very very uh emotionally rewarding but intellectually rewarding book as well hmm. um and you know there's there's something it's it's a tried and true method but there is something in the well the corporation just thinks they can get away with everything and so they do things that are immoral and illegal because they're entirely confident that they've never been caught before, so why should they be caught this time? Right. Uh, and what? How, how do you tell a satisfying story from that without breaking the the world front of a better way of putting it? Because you can't go, and then the cops come in and save the day. Because mm-hmm. why would? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. That's not what happens. Mm-hmm. But how can you? How can you tell a story that isn't just well, everyone gets fucked? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and there is there's something very emotionally satisfying in something that accepts as the reality that these companies do essentially have autonomy to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But there are there is an opportunity to stand up against that and 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 not entirely get fucked. I'm not saying things don't get fucked; they do. <laughs> but <laughs> but there's a way to do it without um, without losing everything. You know. There's that I find something very emotionally rewarding in that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I highly I highly recommend Lawless. It's the third volume that's coming out later this year. The first two are are um, it's it's like a weird frontier western, but it's also Judge Dredd. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it just it continually gets weirder until it's like, well, okay, everything's fucking weird. Mm-hmm. Like she's replacing uh, the previous judge who was a side judge who has been driven mad by the planet. 
Hmm. Um, and he basically, when she shows up and he's like, you're not who you say you are. You're lying. You're not a judge at all. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely not this judge. Hmm. And Abnett does not, like it takes until the third book for him actually to address the point. Oh, that's nice. Because he's just like, well, why does it matter? You know, she's still doing the work. <laughs> does it really matter if she's who she says she is? Right. But he has a lot of fun with that because at one point someone else shows up claiming to be the judge that she says she is. Oh, that's very fun. Right. And the other, like that judge is like, okay, but you've never used your, your lawgiver. And the reason for that is it's palm print and you don't have the right palm print. Mm-hmm. If you were the real judge, you'd use the gun. And she's like, I'm not going to use the gun just to prove to you that I'm like, I'm not scared of you. But in backyard, you're still like, well, she's not used it. Right. She's never proved who she is. That's so right. Is she, is she just pissed off or is she actually lying? Mm-hmm. You know, and, mm-hmm. and Abna is very clear to like, I'm, I'm not going to fucking tell you. Right. Right. Like, I'll tell you when I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that's a really great little uh, ancillary hook. You know, so you, so you get all this stuff. It's, it is. It's a very, very – it's a good series. It's a great third book because it ties off a number of plot lines in such a way that feels utterly satisfying for a weight that you've had for like four years. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, okay, I buy this. This, this works for me. Um, so, yeah, so that's uh, good. I am uh, – I caught up with the current sort of status of, of Superman books at DC. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In part, in part, because I know that they're heading into like Tom Taylor taking over, uh, Grant Morrison doing the the Superman Authority series, and it's it's fine. The about the stuff having been announced is that I feel weirdly impatient with the setup now. Hmm. You know, they're, they they've announced like, oh, you know, come July, I think. Um, Jonathan Kent's taking over the Superman book because Clark Kent's fucking off to deal with War World. You read Action Comics and it's like, War World? What's that? Is it dangerous? You're kind of like, <laughs> I know it's dangerous. <laughs> you know? <laughs> really? And also, it doesn't help that Future State, this Future State issues had like, you know, Superman's trapped in War World. <laughs> right. So right. It, it's this odd thing where you're like, okay, but, you know, I feel like you're dragging this out more than you need to. Totally. Like, I, I feel like, like understand. yeah, like that's where you, the, these are the crucial months where you've got to totally misdirect and do a swerve sort of thing or something, you know, like that's, mm. you know, and, and so it, it's this weird thing where it's like, I think, you know, they're fine. They are fine. They're not bad books, but because you have both in terms of solicits seen the future, but in terms of future state, actually read stories set in that future. Mm-hmm. It's this weird thing where you're like, okay, but you, you should be providing something else. You should be mm-hmm. doing something else. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so you know, that, that's some of the stuff. Jeff, why don't you tell me what you've been reading? Because I feel like I'm basically going, and then stuff's coming out that you can't uh, read. Yes, good, it's, you're very you know? good about that. We should both make a point to sing the praises of Nightwing, though, right? Because I think yes. that that's Are, are you that... reading? Are you oh, reading yeah, a... I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And enjoying tremendously. I... Yeah. I think it's an amazing comic right now. I think what uh, Bruno Rodondo and Tom Taylor are doing is is just very enjoyable. Yeah, like it 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 feels like a fun superhero comic. But again, a superhero comic, the, the heart is in the right place. 
Well, yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I really uh, liked and wanted. Kept I kept wanting the kind of because I mean it's it's not necessarily a feel good book. They've got a villain who's you know running around ripping the hearts out of homeless people, but the 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 relationship side of things is pretty thick and also kind of how do I put it? Like Nightwing being a good person and not especially angst ridden, you know, and Taylor being smart enough to come up with other ways to, I guess, engage the character or give them challenges or things like that. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely the it's, Bat it's Family sur- book that I want to read in that sense. Yeah. It, and it's surprisingly rewarding that there is, that it is angst free. You know, like there's, yeah. there's no, no, no one in the book is tortured by their, mm-hmm. their choices, mm-hmm. you know, cause you, cause you do have guest shots from, from Batgirl, you have guest shots from, from Tim Drake, but mm-hmm. everyone is like, yeah, this is what I do and I'm good at it. The end. And there's yeah. something really refreshing about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think there is something that is edging the, the bat books, particularly on the periphery as particularly where you take the peripheral characters and it can be a kind of a story about family or, or a story where the character has family, I guess. And that also really adds a lot, but yeah, that the, the artist, the coloring is tremendous as well. I should, we should, I think give a shout out to that. If I can see who's doing the colors on it, cause it's, it's it's also, uh, is it FCO plus That would make sense. Cause I'm such a, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just assuming, but I, I could be wrong. It might I not think be. it's Adriano Lucas in this one chapter that I was, uh, which is, I think, the issue 79. I think there's been another issue since, but let's... Uh, yeah, I'm fairly sure issue 80 came out. Yeah, exactly. And then um, issue 80... Yeah, issue 80 issue came out, yeah. yeah. Adriano Lucas doing a really nice job just helping make that book kind of colorful and bright. Um, in a, and playful. It, it is. It's it, the colors are really contribute a lot. They, they are. Mm-hmm. It is incredibly bright book, and also it's kind of stands alone uh, in the Batman books because mm-hmm. it's so colorful. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Although that yeah. said, are you reading uh, Mariko Tamaki's Detective? No, I'm not. I would. I would recommend that if you like uh, Taylor's Nightwing. Really? Yeah. It. It feels. I mean, it's not the same book by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, it's Batman, right? Right. But it feels of the same family, no pun intended. Hmm. Uh, in part because of the backup, which is Huntress. Hmm. Which feels very close in terms of tone and intent to what Taylor's doing in, in Nightwing. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's good. It also, it feels oddly old school because of what's been happening in the Italian book Bruce Wayne has lost his fortune right right mm-hmm. so he's had to move into a townhouse so mm-hmm. he has neighbors all of a sudden and all of a sudden Detective Comics has a new supporting cast huh because of the neighbors hmm um, and I don't know how long it's going to last because the plot at least of Tamaki's first run is is someone is killing the neighbors <laughs> right? oh um or someone has killed one of the neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and the other neighbours are suspects, and so is Bruce Wayne, because strangely enough, he can't provide an alibi. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there is something in intent and tone that feels close to what Taylor is doing. Um, Mm -hmm. And again, feels like it's from the 1970s in some strange way. Hmm. I can't I can't explain why I, I think that, but every time I finish an issue, I always kind of have a hankering to read like seventies Batman or seventies detective. Huh. Interesting. Well, I, which sort of makes sense in a way, because I do feel like, you know, there's that period of seventies Batman and Detective where he's given up the mansion and he's moved into, you know, the skyscraper and Yeah, he's in in towers or something like that yeah Yeah, exactly and so there's a little more of an attempt to make him uh embedded you know in in the urban scene and also sort of the challenges that come with that you know and and kind of a little bit of the we're shaking up the continuity you know yeah yeah very much but no i would i would recommend um tamaki's detective uh maybe more than Mm -hmm. i would recommend titan's uh Tennis Batman. Huh. Also, I, I I have no idea if you've checked out the Tom Taylor Batman book. Uh, I have Batman the Detective. Yeah, I, and I've been enjoying that as well. Maybe not as much in a way, but still like no, no. Night, Nightwing feels, uh, and this is I think this speaks to what I want from my comics more than you do necessarily. Nightwing feels kinder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm down for that. I, I'm kind of in a period. Yeah, no, I'm not. Where, I don't mean in the sense yeah. of like you want cruel comics, but I mean in the sense of like, <laughs> I think, like, uh, there's something about kind superheroes. Yes, yes. That, that like really appeals to me. And honestly, the, the, the lack of that is sometimes why Batman leaves me cold. Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I, I interrupted. Uh, what are you reading, Jeff? Uh, right. So mentioned Nightwing because we both liked it. Uh, I should mention I read all of the Brother Voodoo Masterworks, Marvel Masterworks Brother Voodoo Volume 1, which is an amazing experience because I guess <laughs> I had sort of assumed that um, I'd never really followed Brother Voodoo at all, you know, sort of seen his cameos at various other places and things. But I guess I sort of assumed that there were a lot of brother voodoo stories out there. And there really is not. He pops up from strange tales from 169 through 173. Then he gets pulled over into tales of the zombie, the black and white magazine where he gets two stories. He pops up in issue six and issue 10. And then after that, the rest of this entire Marvel Masterworks volume is just his guest appearances elsewhere up until they end with Marvel Superheroes number one, the Brother Voodoo story that was written by Scott Lobdell, that was drawn by Fred Hembeck, that pretty I was much say, Yeah, pretty much it, exists as an in joke. Well no, that's the thing that's kind of amazing, is is they probably could have had all of the Marvel Age cartoon pages where Fred Hembeck jokes about trying to pitch his brother Voodoo miniseries, and you would probably have more pages than you would of actual solo brother Voodoo stories. Like, there was very, very little of it, you know? You describe it as interesting, but is it good? uh, 
Well, I mean, that's part of the problem is in a way it's just, it's so slight. I think that Brother Voodoo is, was both kind of a series with a lot of potential and reading it, what's kind of a bummer is it's not, it's not really half-assed. It's Len Wein and Gene Colan doing the bulk of the work for the Strange Tales stuff. And then it's Doug Moench, Mench coming in and Colin still doing the, the art for the Tales of the Zombie stuff. Ween is just kind of cranking it out, barely paying attention. But it's, you know, uh, again, it's it's kind of like there's a variety of things about it where I'm kind of like, yeah, it, it kind of works. There's enough There's enough story hooks in the basic origin story and initial story of brother voodoo that, that considering the first two or three issues, first two issues are basically, you know, his origin. Um, and then after that, it's kind of like, Oh, what various voodoo bad guys can we have him go up against? But considering it's, um, it's, Stories from the 70s when, to put it mildly, like a lot of white guys felt perfectly qualified to write people of color and, you know, regurgitate a lot of semi-offensive stereotypes. There's I was going to say, that, that doesn't sound good. Yeah, there, there's not as much of that here as you would think, apart from the fact that whenever Brother Voodoo goes to Haiti, suddenly everybody's talking with Dems and Days and Yes, you know, kind of like pet, really bad Patois. Like, Brother Voodoo himself actually doesn't speak in any kind of caricatured way. You know, he speaks in closer to the charactered Marvel magician kind of way. Yeah, he, um, he does, he's not speaking voodoo jive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. He's he's a little more like Doctor Strange by way of Sidney Poitier, you know. And there and and it kind of works, especially for some of the setup and some of the various hooks that they try and have him do. Oh, I should mention, it's actually pretty great. Like they end the color series, the Strange Tales ends in color with a cliffhanger. Um, and then the cliffhanger, if you want to resolve it, you have to read Tales of the Zombie number six, you know, where it's, where Mench comes in and does the script, you know, and it's clearly like, yeah, this is, this is such a dog. We might as well just bury it in the, in the, the, the actual black and white magazine where, you know, where he won't out be, you know, we don't have to worry about him outshining Simon Garth zombie, you know, so, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of really interesting. Oh, and another amazing choice is, so after he goes and does this stuff, he pops up in Marvel team up, um, you know, he shows up in tales of the zombie again, where Doug Mensch tries to give him like a subplot that might go somewhere. And then he literally appears in a subplot of, um, tomb of Dracula issues like 30. What? Yeah. 35 through 37 and the thing that is absolutely unbelievably fucked up about it is they only reprint the brother voodoo pages so there are pages where 
there's, you know, the Dracula story. And those pages have literally been whited out with a big brother voodoo symbol imposed over it. No. Yeah. And then they cut back to it. So it's like they do the brother voodoo masterwork without, so they don't, I guess they don't have to worry about reprinting the whole Tomb of Dracula, those three issues to keep the page count down. So it really just ends up being one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen pages across three issues of Tomb of Dracula that they just reprint, and a third of those issues are partially redacted. Um, no, that's insane. That's like, um, have you? I wonder if it's a rights issue. Have you ever tried to read Bill Madlow's Hulk uh, run? And the, really, the latter, like, 30 issues or so on Marvel Unlimited? No. Do you remember there was a plot where uh, Bruce Banner got, he, like, put his mind in control of the Hulk in the yeah. Mantle run? Mm-hmm. And he, he gets progressively, like, angrier and, and you know, quote-unquote dumber. Uh, the issue where that resolves... Oh, no. It's like, like a ROM Space Knight issue yes. or something? It's Shit. a ROM Space Knight issue. Yeah. And so they can't reprint it oh my god and so literally they print pages they can that don't feature rom right right like a text piece in between being like and then a space knight did this (laughs) absolutely bonkers that's insane well that makes more sense in here they're still reprinting tomb of dracula they still have they're they've still got those rights they just didn't want to do it like you know, they just, it was just, it was going to fuck up their page count. Cause then brother voodoo ends up as a guest character in werewolf by night, 39 through 41. Of course he does. Of course he does. Poor brother voodoo. And it's, I mean, it's actually probably one of the high points of the series, but it's, um, you know, they reprint all three issues of that, you know, it's, it's insane. It's the whole thing. Like, honestly, they have the introduction to this is by Ron Wilson. They got Ron Wilson to write the introduction of it. Now, Graham, I, how many issues of Brother Voodoo do you think do you think that Ron Wilson drew? I'm going to be surprised if it's more than one. I might even be surprised if it's one. You're good call. He actually ends up drawing Marvel Two in One number forty one which is a wrap-up. It's the second part of a two-part storyline, by the way. They don't bother to print part one because that's the thing in Black Panther. And Brother Voodoo comes in to save the day in issue 41, so they only run that part. And it's it's a a bummer because Ron Wilson, I'm like, is that the, like, you guys, like, you know, and Ron Wilson, bless his heart, he's like, yeah, there's a lot to like about Brother Voodoo. Look at that design. I always like that design. And, you know, like, as as a black creator he's like, I, I, in I, comics. I, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, he, he kind of does. He's kind of like, so I made a point to draw him when I got to, you know, Marvel 2-in-1 to really play up the, the aspects of the character that I liked. And I'm like, great. And then you read that issue of uh, Marvel 2-in-1, and I forget who the hell's writing it, but, like, they have him kill his beloved manservant, you know. Oh, David Kraft. R.I.P. David Anthony Kraft, Ron Wilson, and Pablo Marcos do this story in which 
someone is kidnapping the it's like the 10 the 10 most greatest black people oh right oh, and then it's Idi Amin and zombies recently. did you yeah, okay then you that. know the one i'm talking <laughs> yeah. about mm-hmm. yeah where you're just like what oh, kind no. of crazy ass story is this it actually has Idi Amin like coming and kidnapping I, I my brother voodoo is in that <laughs> yes right I, yeah i do remember just like what is this this is terrible like mm-hmm. this is borderline offensive maybe not borderline maybe it's just outright offensive it's just outright offensive it's just outright offensive they actually have Idi Amin in there like honestly Black Panther does more than Brother Voodoo does in that story uh quite honestly so it's oh what a mess what a mess anyway so it's the, the the Brother Voodoo Masterworks is just a volume of disappointing sadness. I will say that the issue after that, which is Doctor an issue of Doctor Strange, where Brother Voodoo guest stars in, um, has art by Marshall Rogers and Terry Austin. And let me tell you, Marshall Rogers, unsurprisingly, does a fabulous Doctor Strange. Um, just great, you know. Didn't he uh, draw Doctor Strange for a while? He, he I, well, this is this could be part of his regular run, but I was like, oh shit, I gotta I go like and hunt up the rest of this stuff. Yeah, because it it really unsurprisingly suits him. Similarly, one of the other books that I was reading because I didn't get enough of Marvel supernatural sadness, uh, I started reading Ghost Rider Team Up Volume One, which is just a a terrible bag of poo. But in it, there's there's a issue of. <laughs> You old deadpan Graham McMillan. Uh, there is an issue of of Marvel Team Up. It's like 97 or something like that, written by Stephen Grant. Um, Spider-Man and Ghost Rider team up to fight an off-brand circus of evil, basically. And uh, the art is by... Let me make sure that I've got it right. It's by Pat Broderick. And Pat Broderick does uh like seriously i should look up his other issues of marvel team up because he does a great spider-man unsurprisingly pat broderick's got way more ditko in him you know and so it's just if you like looking at lean wiry spidey you know twisting in nine different directions on design heavy pages like it's really it's 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 a it's a it's a good issue. I mean, a crap comic, but it's one of those things where you're like, "Ooh, Pat Broderick for the win." Um, Pat Broderick was, was I, Pat Broderick was one of those artists that when I was young, I totally didn't dig, and the mm-hmm. older I get, the more I like him. You know, it's funny. I I liked him. I always felt that Pat Broderick was one of those dudes who kind of, um, like. You, for me, it was always like Pat Broderick exists because Michael Golden couldn't hit his deadlines. You know what I mean? And so, no, very a, much. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's one of the keys to me learning to like him. For a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. was his uh, Micronauts run. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I remember Where him he on Micronauts. Golden. Yeah, and the similarities in their styles actually really comes out there and so it's kind of interesting i'm like oh broderick right looking at this i'm like he's got way more of a ditko influence than i would have thought 
Um, but interestingly enough, same with Marshall Rogers and maybe Michael Golden. Like, it's weird. I don't think of Golden as Ditko influenced, but I definitely think of Golden and Marshall Rogers and Pat Broderick all in sort of the same school. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, so kind of, kind of, kind of crazy stuff. Uh, to continue my, um, my, uh, dip into, uh, subnormal and sad uh, Marvel stuff. I read Marvel Team Up Masterworks Volume Five, which is this is the one much... you were tweeting about, right? Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, yeah, because that it's the it's the at the end of it, it's where they really go insane and include the entire Marvel calendar from 1976 is reprinted in full there, which just blows my mind. And then uh, because I yeah. Uh, hit you up they have the cover pieces the original art cover for the marvel grab bag holiday treasury editions and the interior non-reprint pages which is a whole includes a whole story by roger stern and george tusca that's literally just the marvel superheroes chilling out on the holidays like it's really like so your jam but it's like jammed in the back of this marvel team up where i'm like I'm a little confused. Like, on the one hand, don't get me wrong, I'm not necessarily unhappy, but I'm also kind of confused. I guess they felt that it, the best thing to do was to break Bill Mantlow's Marvel team-up run into two volumes, because this reprints, like, issue 40 through... or maybe it's 41 through... Um, 50, 51, and I'm pretty sure he does at least 52. The infamously, um, uh, what's the right word? Valuable um, Marvel team up annual with uh, Spider Man and, and the X Men. Yeah, I mean, fighting the Lords of Light that was a Bill Mantlo Sal Basima joint that for some reason I don't remember why it's so ridiculously valuable, but it, it was. I I, th- I might be misremembering. Is it not because it's a really early, just a really early appearance of the X Men? I think it is. I think that's. I don't. Think, I don't think it. anything yeah. special happens in other than it's an early appearance of the X Men. Mantlo right. runs. It uh, goes up to a uh, uh, team of fifty five. It seems. Yeah, which is Spider Man and Warlock. So it's like this is sad. Check this out. I'm like. So it ends on 51, 52, so there's, wait, maybe 52 Spider-Man. There's Spider-Man and Warlock, Spider-Man and Wood God. Okay, so I I will tell you right now, it goes 51 is Spider-Man and Iron Man, 52 is Spider-Man and Captain America, 53 is... Oh shit, uh, sorry, right. (laughs) Spider-Man and Hulk, 54 isn't on Marvel Unlimited, so I can't tell you, and 55 is Spider-Man and Warlock. Okay, so sorry, it's gotta be, because you're right, 52 is actually in this volume. It's Jerry Conway, Sal Basima, and it's if that, like, Jerry Conway dropping by to tie up a loose end in Jack Kirby's Captain America run. I have no idea. Really? Yeah. Really crazy. Yeah, yeah. That whole, there's the whole thing where they, um, Cap is in, comes back, like, is that whole, the, the insane planet, you know, that weird, yeah, yeah, realm yeah, yeah, where, yeah. yeah. Um, when they come back from that, it shows them reappearing, and one of the monsters escapes through the portal. And Batrock the Leaper sees him and recruits him to to make uh, his fortune. You, 
as you do, as you do. And so Spider-Man and Cap have to team up and, and beat him. That's actually in this volume. I, I forgot. I 54, I'm sure, I is. That. I wonder why they're not reprinting Wood God. I wonder if Wood God's just impossible to find. Like, it's not like there's a ton of appearances of the guy. But it'd be great if they're like, no Wood God on Marvel Unlimited. Absolutely not. That um, is very and then let's I want to see because 56 is not Marvel Unlimited either. So I want to see if 56 is is also Matt. Well, I'm trying to think. Claremont uh, it and is. Burn come in. Oh, is it? 56, 56 is also Matt. And it's Spider-Man and Daredevil, which makes it even more inexplicable that it's not there. Huh. Yeah, that's really weird. Huh. How did I forget that? Hmm. And then 50, is it 57 that's Spider-Man and the Black Widow? And that's sort of the start. Yes. And, of... that's, the, and that's the first of the, the, um, the Claremont yeah. Burn. Okay, yeah, yeah, and then 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 things get hopping. Anyway, Marvel Team Up Masterworks Volume Five. I'm very fond of in part because it has the whole crazy. It's it's Mantlo and Sal Basima doing just kind of all crazy, just blow the hinges off. Like we're not even going to try and make sense for our first four part storyline, which is. Spider-Man, the Scarlet Witch, Vision, and Doctor Doom versus Cotton Mather and the Dark Rider in Salem, Massachusetts, back in the 18th century. Crazy. Then Spider-Man Everything gets about lost in time. Yeah, exactly, right? And then Spider-Man gets lost in time um, and then teams up with Killraven and Deathlock in issues 45 and 46 for like two of my favorite issues uh, ever, I think. And then that comes back in time to have a crossover with Marvel 2-in-1, and then there's a three-part Who is the Wraith story that runs from... Is it three or four parts? From like 49 to 48 to 51, which uh, introduces Jean DeWolf is is where she, she appears for the first time. So... Um, which not everyone's so crazy about Gene DeWolf, but I was I was a fan and very sad when Peter David killed her just because just because he could. <laughs> the Sin Eater. Yeah, the, the Sin, Sin Eater, Eater storyline, which I gotta admit, I enjoyed that story a lot at the time, even though I'm like, oh why? Why? Um what else did I read? The first volume of Boys Run the Riot, which is a great title and a really fun anime. Uh, anime manga by uh, Kaito Gaku is um, it's about a high school I want to say a, a trans man uh, a trans boy in in high school who is unsurprisingly trying to lead a second life um, outside of this highly regimented school. Um, and he gets involved with another, um, basically a high school holdback who is, um, as ridiculously fearless as, uh, our protagonist is fearful of public opinion. And together they decide to start a fashion imprint. And so it's a story that's actually uh, Gaku is a trans man creating manga and so reflecting on his experience having to dress, you know, in, you know, because as you know, Japanese schools require uniforms. So it's all mm-hmm. skirts and blouses and the, you know, 
any second the, the student protagonist can leave, they're, you know, they're obsessed with men's clothes, which is why they end up starting this fashion line. What's nice about it is it's really a good, it's, it's a really lightweight manga. You know what I mean? Like, this is not the sort of very serious kind of, uh, you know, like, super angsty stuff. It's very much, it moves very quickly into kind of feel-good slash impossible challenges. You know, how are these three nobodies going to end up, like, upending everyone's expectation and making a cool, super sexy fashion line? You know, as opposed to, yes, but what about real life? You know what I mean? So it's, it, I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, I mentioned, uh, Demon Slayer, Demon Slayer, Kanitsu no Yaiba. That's pretty good. I got to admit, I very much did not like Crossover Volume 1, Kids Love Chains, which is the best thing by far about Crossover Volume 1, that title. Um, wait, wait, wait. Crossover Volume 1, the the image book? Yes, the image book by Donnie Cates, edited by Mark Wade, and drawn by somebody who I should give a shout-out to and am not going to until I... Hold on one second. Here we go. It's by the Jeff Shaw. Let's say that it's Jeff Shaw is the artist on that. Um, that, feels, that feels right. He was the artist of their um, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah, Okay. Well, there you go. So crossover, not a big fan of it's Donny Cates um, doing his thing, except it's his uh, creator own thing. And it's very much him being like, hey, comics. But what if more importantly, and hold on to me now, what if I could make as much money as Mark Miller? You know, so, um, you know, that was the thing. I also have to admit, I did not like Homesick Pilots, uh, Volume 1, Teenage Haunts. Um, I had read the first issue and was not crazy about it by uh, Dan Waters and Casper Wingard, but everyone sort of kept ranting about it, and I was like, sure, I'll give it another try. Um, it's just kind of a mess. I don't like it much. Uh, it I should, in a way, because it's sort of about punk kids in the 90s getting involved with a haunted house and that turning into a blah, blah, blah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess part of it is like if, if Neil Gaiman had wanted to be a poser punk instead of a poser goth and did a lot of crystal meth, you would get um, homesick pilots, but I don't, it just didn't, it didn't really wow me. Um, I did end up wowed based on your recommendation and trying out the department of truth, volume one, the end of the world by James Tinian four and Martin Simmons. That was quite good. Interestingly enough, it's funny how much both it and homesick pilots sort of vaguely, um, resemble one another. Um, I mm -hmm. think, in that there is, I mean, ostensibly it's about ghosts and fictive realities and also being just kind of a thing that throws all sorts of shit at the wall. But Department of Truth does a pretty good job of making that stuff stick. Um, and, and really wouldn't surprise me that it's been picked up for any number of things because it feels so like nothing so much more as an incredibly smart X-Files reboot, I guess. 
Um, but I very Look, much there, there's it. there's probably money in that incredibly smart X file tree book. No, exactly, which is why I mean I, I'm not wrong, right? Department of Truth did get snapped up for option I, or I, something. I want to say it has been. I might be wrong. It definitely okay. feels like something that has been or is probably in the works. Yeah. Um, and that is perhaps a more cynical way of talking about it. It really is quite good. You, I'm not mistaken. I'm not mistaken, right? You did end up reading and enjoying it a lot, right? I, I read the first. Oh shit! Issue two issues, maybe. Oh, okay. I did. I liked what I read. I liked what I read. Oh, okay. So you haven't even read the full trade, then? Interesting. No, no. Oh, all right. I was mistaken. But I know that, for example, a friend of the podcast, Todd Allen. Uh, read it and also enjoyed it. So between you, you two putting in the good word, um, I read that a lot. So that's kind of it, honestly. A lot of a lot of brother voodoo and very, you know, sad unintentionally. So Marvel's seventies work, a smattering of manga, a certain amount of DC universe. Like I said, a little bit from everywhere, and uh, and I liked it the end i kind of feel that that's very uh this is going to sound more insulting this man too it's very on brand for you though <laughs> i am, am I very wrong? insulted no 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 i don't think so i don't think so i i think i think that i talk a lot about marvel 70s so i'm very far away from i'm never very far away from it but um, I think one of the things that bummed me out about Brother Voodoo Masterworks was kind of, um, I think we're honestly getting to the point where there's not much 70s Marvel left to reprint. You know what I mean? That I either have read now that it's been reprinted or read the first time around and like the Marvel team up Masterworks and just revisiting that stuff. Um, but it's... It's, I, I find it kind of a little, um, like, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm not doing the math right. But part of me is, like, I feel like I should sit down on one of those websites that recounts everything that was published every month through the 70s yeah, yeah. and see how much of it I've actually read by now, you know? Okay, here's the weird thing. I uh, I don't know if I had this conversation with you off the podcast or not. I definitely it happened after we did the last episode. Mm -hmm. um, I've read uh, an advanced copy of Douglas Wolk's All of the Marvels. Mm -hmm. We haven't. Um, you'd mentioned that he and uh, he, he had a copy. Yeah, he makes a reference to the number of books that he's read as having read all of the books. It's it's a he he has a, a sort of like definition of what counts as a marvel universe book uh -huh. um but he basically like roughly guesses there's around twenty seven thousand, which seems low to me mm. is that not seem low to you well i don't know i mean i don't know it it's one of the things that, that throws things off is that marvel published a lot of reprint books like they reprinted a ton of stuff mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of things that people remember fondly picking up on the stands 
you know, that were actually reprints like Marvel Tales or, sure, sure. you know, that sort of thing. Marvel so, Triple Action was mine. I, right. I remember getting, re, I, not reprints, I remember getting secondhand copies of Marvel Triple Action, which was an Avengers reprint. But. Right, exactly. So there was there was a lot of stuff at any given moment, that, it, at least in the 70s. And of course, you know, they were curtailed for the through the 60s by their publication agreement with national uh their distribution agreement with national where they were limited to something like 13 titles or something like that I it's, uh I, i'm not sure if there's an official served number of how many books but yeah mm-hmm. and then 68 i think they, they came out of it mm-hmm. yeah so and then they start expanding and you know they they crank through tons and tons and tons of titles but a lot of them don't last very long you know there's a lot of stuff you know something where i'm like oh my god skull the slayer my dear beloved skull the slayer like that dude only had like eight issues nine issues of his comic you know somebody like nova who you know a lot of us remember well you know it probably everyone now remembers him from coming back in the 90s as part of new warriors but you know like he didn't even make it through did he make it past issue 24? I don't, you know, so so in a way, it doesn't necessarily surprise me, although I would think that those numbers would ramp up so dramatically from, like, the mid-80s to, you know, the mid-90s that I would be kind of surprised in a way, you know? Yeah, I, I just, like, I saw that number and I was like, that feels wrong. <laughs> just on some weird base level that feels wrong right. in large part because that means that so many books are on marvel Unlimited, like such a high percentage right because yeah, i want to say they have over twenty five thousand issues on marvel unlimited wow which means that they have you know by far the vast majority yeah i mean well i mean of course marvel Unlimited also has stuff like star wars which is marvel universe yada yada but still exactly exactly and i'm assuming that douglas is 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 all the marvels is starting from the 60s on or he doesn't cover the stuff back in the 40s or 50s i would think um i mean he touches on it Mm -hmm. It, it, he's he's really talking about like the marvel universe as a as a uh sort of a fictional construct though right? right so so it's a it's put it this way he doesn't do the book chronologically mm-hmm. he does the book by subject hmm. so it's not i was going to say by character but that's not always the case there, there's like there's chapters amusingly enough about the presidents of the marvel universe mm. you know um but but touches on the stuff that's pre-stan and jack doing fantastic four mm. he also has a great uh insight into how Fantastic Four manages to be a team book that doesn't include the members of the team. Hmm. That again, this book is months away from coming out, so I'm not going to spoil it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But like, it's one of those things where you're like, "Oh shit, he's entirely right," and that's a really smart look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, I, yeah, are, I know. I, I it's it's a book that I think is going to thrill a lot of people. Are you finished with it, or are you still? I am finished, I am finished oh, okay. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it, uh, it's yeah. I think I think it's a book that's, that's really genuinely going to uh, make a lot of people very happy. Oh, that's great. And when's publication of that? Is that? Did you say it's, September? It's my actual birthday. It's October fifth. 
Wow. Hey, um, congratulations. I mean, exactly. So, uh, huh. Okay. That's very cool. Well, that's something for the rest of us plebes to look out for, I guess. Yes, exactly. That's it, plebes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Graham McMillan, is that, is the is that the final bell then? Is that time that we should wrap this up? Uh, I think that's safe because we've I, gone on for more than two hours. I mean, I, I know we've been gone for a while, but still, there, yes. there's a little people's patience. I agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I don't want to wear them out too much um, now that we're back, especially since we're, we've got another one next week. And then, yeah, and then we have a drop after that. Right. Right. Exactly. So, you so know. yeah, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're around. We're, we're going to be here for, we're going to be here for a while. Try the veal. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, well, and I mean, really, technically, there's no more closing comments that one actually needs to make after Try the Veal. But nonetheless, Graham, should we? Do you, wanna, do you want to launch into the spiel that you do so well? All I can say in response is that there will be show notes to this podcast up on waitwhatpodcast.com. Uh, I put something up on the Instagram the other day, instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod. It, it's amazing. You, I was as surprised as you were. Uh, <laughs> we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast, which means Jeff is going to launch into his stuff right now. Yes, my stuff. Hey, Hey, listeners, you guys are groovy. We are super grateful to uh, you continuing to come back. Um, you know, every, every month there's there's what uh, our retailers' friends would call a, a new jumping off point. So we're always grateful for the fact that you come back um, with us after the skip week or weeks. Um, and listen to us and then point things out on Twitter or send us uh, emails or contribute to our comments threads over at whitewhatpodcast.com, which manages to keep us uh, inspired and fired up and with ideas for things to read or to talk about. And the people on Patreon do all of the same and also throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh, which is super grateful Uh grateful super gratifying and i'm incredibly grateful for it never more so than when i realize i'm on the hook for actually paying for the digital copy for brother voodoo marvel masterworks and the fact that i really don't have to fret i can pick it up and indulge in uh, a certain amount of stupefaction that brother voodoo never really got enough of a shot i think i still i it's still kind of you are the new fred hambeck Yes, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, seriously, part of me is like, man, there's so much stuff you can do here. Mm. But isn't that always the way? Anyway, we'd like to give a special shout out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, her continuing support of this podcast, and the old uh, Celestial Realm, which is, you know, some might say have seen better days. On the other hand, nothing has catastrophically fallen on us yet. Knock on wood, so thank you, Audrey. We are grateful. I feel like every time you say that, A, you're tempting fate, and B, there's some weird, like, pessimism. <laughs> Nothing bad has happened yet. And, like, you know, 
we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens between recording this podcast and releasing it. Okay, but Graham, aren't you the one who's really being secretly pessimistic by suggesting I'm tempting fate by mentioning that? That I I contain multitudes, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played and well abated. Uh, we're going to be back next week. Uh, and until then, bye! Bye!